0: What's up, everybody? On this episode of the Boston Ski Party, we are joined by the North American product manager of Nordica Skis, Ethan Corpy. Ethan is a ski mastermind that is working behind the scenes of one of the most popular ski families to ever hit the market, the Nordica Enforcer. He sits down with us in studio to do his very first podcast. Corpy tells us a bit about his background growing up in the woods of Vermont, falling in love with skiing at an early age, and beginning a career in racing that would ultimately lead him to working for the iconic Austrian ski brand. We discuss his transition from being an athlete to working on the product side of things and how he rose to prominence to eventually develop some of the badass products that make the Nordica brand what it is today. This past May, George and myself were lucky enough to join Ethan on a trip to the Nordica motherland in Middersill, Austria, where we got to witness firsthand the entire ski production process. Matt Berkowitz was also with us on that trip, so he joins us for this conversation. Also, With Matt being the former product manager of Fisher Skis, it felt right to have another product manager in the room to make sure Corby doesn't take too much credit for his success. Enjoy the show, everybody. Holla. Is what
1: it is, man. It is what it is,
2: man. It is what it is, man. It It is is what it is, man. It's cheap, too. (laughs) TheSkiMaster.com
0: Oh man, back in the saddle. Cheers, everybody. Yeah. We're spritzing because we that's what sprits. we did in Europe.
1: Cheers, cheers, yeah. cheers
0: guys. Couple of spritz, boys and girls. Yeah. Oh. So Corby, you just got off the plane, right? I did, yeah. I was in uh
1: it was in Denver for a couple of days. Nice. Yeah.
0: And the rest of the
1: Nordica folk are coming from Europe today, right? No, they were they, they were, were with De- you.
2: yeah. You guys yeah, were all that, out west, right?
1: That's right. So Alberto Contento, he's our international boot product manager. He was just in Denver with us, so he he met us there. He flew obviously from from Italy, and we just met him there on Monday. And we did a couple of rounds, laps around Denver, which is cool. Met with our athletes. Sweet. You know, these dudes are super funny. We have uh, we had Brooks, um, Curran, S Express got with us, and. And Lucy and those guys are just like obsessed with the scooter scene in Denver. <laughs> they logged like thirty miles. Like in, what? what in like you mean like electric scooters, yeah, or you like know those like little lifts? They're all. Yeah, they just, they just like drop on the, the ground. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay. So yeah. these like these guys are just animals on these things, Sick. and yeah, they logged they logged some serious street time in Denver, and they're just having they having a blast. But no, we we're bringing them up to speed on what we have going on for next year with our product and nice um, planning stuff for the future and make sure we get content and stuff like that ready to go for. For sell in and then obviously sell through for the next year. Or so
2: sweet. Do the do the do those athletes have quite a bit of feedback and you know what is coming down the line for
1: products? Absolutely. Uh, and we've been bringing these guys more and more into the fold. Uh, we had them prototyping uh, the Un- Unleashed project, for example, from right from the get go. The first Unleashed ski has actually had double core technology in them. We really want to make this super harmonious flexing ski. And you know, as much as I would like to think I can go out and do that kind of <laughs> skiing that those those guys do. Like I can't, so we shipped them those prototypes and they were like, eh, "Nope." Uh, so we went back to the drawing board and we started playing with constructions again, uh, based on their feedback. I mean, we've we, we definitely use those guys quite a bit. Yeah, um, which is kind of an interesting process. It was the Unleashed was in development for so long because of COVID it hit. You know, we were we were launching that ski, building a ski, and it was like you know COVID, and we were like, okay get a timeout on this thing a little bit we need more time with it we have this construction thing we've got to get over uh, mm-hmm. to the point where the athletes didn't even re- like even remember prototyping it by the time we got them the next round um, but yeah no those guys are involved and we actually had them uh, at Big Sky Montana in March at uh, PCM1 we call them PCMs they uh, their product council meetings so we have all the international members from Austria Italy Germany wherever uh, represent their markets Come together and discuss products and stuff like that. And we actually had our athletes there this year. Oh, it's cool. awesome!
0: Yeah, I mean, and we were just together prototyping in in Europe. That's right, which is awesome. Uh, and that whole process and how that even happens is, is incredible for anybody that the, like when you see how ski goes from from basically an idea to that prototype to getting out on it is is a wild thing. And to be a part of it is, I mean, we're super fucking lucky. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really really cool. I mean, it yeah. doesn't get less it it, it, it Gets more and more cool, but when you're doing it, you have to kind of like take a step back and be like, "What? How do we even get here? How How did this even happen? Or even part of this process, which is pretty rad. And thanks to obviously you for including us in that process.
1: Yeah, that was a that was an incredible trip. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, we had the opportunity to take the ski monster over to Europe, and we just couldn't think of a better account to go over to Europe with. Um, You guys are all about our same age, and you know, just going and going and giving that experience and someone who's never had that experience is just incredible. And it, yeah, it, so you have to pinch yourself a little bit. Sometimes. You do, you
0: know, but I will, I will say that's a little bit more of the PC response by Ethan, which is fantastic. We appreciate that. <laughs> but the other part of that story of while we were there, which we just told Sierra is that Corpy and, and George had a, had a little, had a little, uh, a little bet in how, big
1: sky, how the trip came to be, how the trip came right. to be uh, was, Oh no, dear God. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was just a,
0: a, a little bit of uh, connect Four, I believe. And that's how it started, and you know George won, thank thankfully, and it spiraled from there. And, and of course, Ethan delivered on on his promise, and he got us to Europe, which is awesome.
2: Yeah, it took
1: three or four years. Three or four but years. It it happened. It got we got there. It happened. We got there. Yeah, we, we were at like we were at Powder Week. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was the last night, so they just do this like big send off party at the end, and. I'm definitely not talented enough as most of the Powder Union members or brand members to ski all day and party all night. I can either do I can do one, mm-hmm. I can't do two. So I hadn't really been and partying much that week. I've been skiing a lot, which right. it's, it's it's awesome to get out of the office, go to Powder Week and just tread the whole week and I was like, I'm gonna let my hair down a little bit tonight. <laughs> Let's
2: go, boys. <laughs> that you did.
1: <laughs> and it was an awesome time. And it was what started
0: this the snowball effect of getting Ski Monster to see how the sausage is made in, in, in Austria and Italy, which is which was an incredible trip. But before we get too too far along in here, because you kind of are the man behind the curtain. And this is your first podcast, by the way, which is pretty awesome. I feel honored to be the first the first pod that Ethan Corby is on, which is sick. Yep. Um just a little background on on, you know, who you are and what you do um in the ski business and just kind of fill 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 people that are listening in on, on on what it is you bring to Nordica.
1: Yeah, that's a, uh, so I don't know where to necessarily start with that question, just because, you know, I think my, my previous life uh, probably explains it a little bit better too, uh, before we get to actually working for Nordica. so I grew up in Vermont my whole life. I grew up in the Stratton area um, and just fell in love with skiing. My parents were very, very, um, they just made sure that if we're going to live in Vermont, basically in the middle of nowhere, we're going to, we're going to ski. Like, yep. What else are you going to mm-hmm. do all winter? So my dad, uh, he would always take a ski and I just fell in love with it. I remember like, I think it was like ten or eleven years old. It's the middle of the summer. I start crying because I was I was like, <laughs> "Oh my god, it's August!" Like literally in tears. <laughs> it's, it's August. I'm not gonna be able to ski forever. Um, so I, I mean, I just I fell in love with it. And then my kid, my or excuse, my parents put me in a racing program, and I fell in love with racing as well. So uh, I raced growing up all through high school, which I went to Berkmount Academy. And then That's right. It, you went there, was Hans there at the same time as you? No, he had graduated a couple of years before. Okay. Um, I wasn't sure if, if,
0: it, if it overlapped at all.
1: No, no, we didn't overlap actually at UVM, but we have so many mutual friends. Yeah. Uh, we connected. Yeah.
0: And Hans, for, for everybody, Hans is the one of the founders of our Amada skis. Total
2: badass dude. Awesome guy. Yeah. yeah. And there's, I mean, there's quite a few ski industry people that went through. I mean, obviously a lot of those academies, but Burke specifically,
1: Burke specifically, yeah. Uh, Obviously, Willie Booker. Yep. uh, He Mm -hmm. was the president of Nordica for a number of years. Uh, He worked with you, uh, Burke, at Fisher. Yep. Uh, He did some time at MDV, and now he's actually the head of school at at Burke again. So, it's kind of full circle for Willie. But, yeah, I'm trying to think of of who else. I think think Curtis, Mike Curtis. Oh, yeah. I think Curtis went to Burke as well. Really?
0: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Huh.
0: I didn't know that Curtis went there. Well, then, after... Burke, you went to UVM. Yeah,
1: and after Burke, I went to UVM. I I took a took a two year hiatus. Actually, skied from Mount Mansfield Ski Club. You know, they call it a postgraduate year. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, just to make sure that that everyone knew I was not going to make the US ski team and ski <laughs> World Cup. I just <laughs> need those couple of years. Um, and, and then and then after that, I started UVM. It was pretty um pretty natural transition to go from Mount Mansfield and start skiing for yeah. UVM. And as soon as I graduated from UVM, uh, I started working for Nordica. It was like a, a three or four week break and. And I started as a tech rep in New England, uh, which is interesting because I was Mike Martini's tech rep, who was the... It's so funny. Yeah, I know. It's so, it's so funny. It's yeah, such yeah, a small I, world.
0: It's such a small world. Because I was
1: going to ask you that. I was like, when you finally realized
0: that you weren't going to make the U.S. ski team, you know, when did you like kind of click in your head that you're like, hey, I'm going to do this thing on the product side of things? But so it sounds like it was right away.
1: Yeah, it was, it was pretty immediate. I mean, so I actually took the job at Norica and it was it was probably the world's worst time to enter into the workforce. It was It was 2008. Uh, and I, I was just super psyched just to have a job. No one, no one in my graduating class was really landing mm-hmm. jobs, obviously for, um, you know, cause of the economy and the, and the position. And I was like, you know, what? I'm going to take this job for just for a couple of years and yeah. then I'm going to go get a real job. I kept telling myself, <laughs> uh, and then I get, it got pretty real pretty quickly. Uh, after, after starting, And I just, again, I kind of fell in love with it and that's, you know, kind of one of the parts of skiing. It's just, it's reinvented itself for myself yeah. multiple times. I mean, even, even, even through racing, I was doing it individually, and then doing a the UVM on the team side, and then obviously working on the brand side. It's 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 been it's been a fun journey so far. So,
0: yeah. So you started with Martini as a tech rep. Yep. And then you transitioned from kind of a tech rep role into, I believe, if I remember correctly, the race. Right.
1: Yeah. So I managed the race department for I think mm-hmm. it was like three or four years, uh, and that that was a blast. I mean, to to work in ski racing at that level was, was really fun, working with World Cup athletes, going to World Cups, getting to know the European team. It was just this this whole other side that, you know, I'd never been able to get there as a racer. So to get there and just still just be so passionate about the sport and, and see it was was really cool. And just the skills that you learn, the detail in the product, and, you know, just the know-how that you gain um, – in, the, in, that, in that world, in that environment, it's so focused, it's so specialized, really translates well also into the product side of things.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, we, we were, again, we were just there. And obviously, races is a huge part of, 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 the, of the sport, a huge part of ski culture. It gets people skiing, it gets some of the best skiers ever, obviously, all X racers, right? right. But the dedication that certain brands, especially Nordica, has to that particular, you know, whole, whole side of the business was insane to see it in the factory. I mean like when you were when we we're describing like when you're like how many presses are there like these people are making this amount of per, per skis per day and then you're like oh what's this whole area over here what are these presses you're like that's just for race yeah and you're like wait I'm sorry what and so i mean explain a little bit how that how that goes and why that is because of the demand of these world cup skiers like there's a whole section that's literally just focused on the race program
1: Yeah, and and, and you you kind of nailed it there even within your question i mean it's just so specialty it's so focused you know those guys are you know, hurling them down the mountain, themselves down the mountain, super fast speeds, they're skiing on rock hard ice. I mean, those are conditions that none of us, you know, see on a daily basis when we're out on the mountain and they just need special materials and these special shapes and these special constructions that are way stronger than, you know, what, what we're going to do, you know, blasting around Stowe or, you know, right or veil. So, I mean, it's, 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 re- it's so special that they need special production, special treatment, special builders to be able to, to handle those products.
0: Yeah, I remember he, it, um, it wasn't, who's, who's the other guy? I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. Manfred. The, Man, yeah, Manfred. And he was explaining, he said, um, like, yeah, if something comes in or something breaks, an athlete says, hey, I need it to be X or Y, he's like, we can literally make it happen, press it, get it out to him, like, almost within 24 hours yeah. of, of, like, the request depending wherever they are in the world. And I was like, man, 24 hours, it seems really yeah. fast. But he's like, well, if, if they need this many skis, they're, they're traveling, they're racing, like right. we need to be able to produce that on the spot, not stop production of all the retail skis and just have this dedicated area just for our athletes so they can, you know, get the next World Cup race. I, I, I mean, that's an incredible dedication.
2: And and have the ability. I mean, you, your factory is located in Midtersil, Right. and Kitsteinhorn, glaciers. You know, we were we tested some prototypes there. It's thirty minutes away. I mean, to mm-hmm. have the ability to build prototypes, go test them on snow, and go back to the factory or office and
1: make changes is is crazy. Yeah, it it is really. That's that's one of the things that allows us to to continue to build really incredible skis. Um, it's it's obviously the people we have working for us too, but definitely having that factory right there where it is, and in you know twelve months out of the year we have access to to snow. It's it's incredible.
0: It is. I mean, we we had I think like was it three, two of the same, one of one that was different. But when we were there, we had three different skis, and you know obviously feeling the differences, which is incredibly awesome. But then like one once you know that it's kind of done, like the difference between the two that were. Definitely unfinished versus the one that still had the the blacked out graphic on it, and you ski on it. You are like, this ski's done. This is yep. a retail ski. Yeah, it's kind
1: of wild. Done. I remember looking at you and George, and we were we were at the top. I was like, we're done here, right, guys? And you are like, oh yeah, we're done. Done. <laughs> we're done. And you have that moment. You are just like, you know, you work so hard. You know, you, you make sure the shape is right. You work on the construction. You work on the family, the sizing, all the all the details up to that point. And then you get you get to this moment on snow. You know, and it's it's maybe the second, third round of prototypes. And, you know, everyone takes a run and you're like, that's really good and you know, we had that moment at the top. Yeah, it was, it was sick. It's just like it's it feels so good. I remember having those those moments with with Florian, our our international ski product manager on the Enforcer one oh four. Um, and when we finalized this the ski it was actually at Killington, Vermont. Okay. And he, he flew over and it was just a weird spring. So we had really good snow late and I think it was like May. And I was like, Flaw, we're going over Killington. He's like He's like, what? I'm like, yep. The (laughs) snow is really good over there still. And he's like, like, okay. So we go over and, you know, it was like, you know, the 10th turn into it. I stopped. and I was like, we're done here. He's like, really? And he hadn't skied on. He was skiing on a different one uh, with a different construction. And he had the same experience. Boom. Right back up to the top. Yeah. It's it's a great feeling.
2: And so, I mean, two things. It sounds like, just like Eric said, his excitement about going to the factory and seeing the skis made. How exciting that is. It sounds like even for you on your side that that excitement doesn't wear out when you when you come up with an idea, build it, it comes to fruition. And you're looking around at everybody smiling. And you're like, this is this is sick. This yeah, she done. Like, she done. Yeah. This started as a brainstorm. And now this like this is a real thing.
1: Yeah, and that, that is, I mean, I get excited for, for so many different reasons, and, and that is one of them. Yeah, you see you see it all the way through the process, but then you get to hand it off to somebody and they have that same experience. It, it like, gives you goosebumps so much. You're just like, all right, this is going to make somebody's vacation really sweet. Right. Right? Yeah. You know, they, they spend a bunch of cash, not only on the skis, but, you know, getting them out and figuring out the right. flight, whatever, whatever they're doing to get there, take, mm-hmm. the, take the time off, and, you know, they get on a product and just have a blast on it. I mean, yeah. that's the... That's that's where it comes full circle.
2: Yep. And that was your Enforcer 104 Free was your first ski project, right?
1: That was my first ski project. So we did mm-hmm. the Enforcer 104 and 88 in that same year. Those were my first two skis yep. um, that, that I worked on. But you were doing boots uh, previous yeah, to that, right? Prior to that, I think, what
0: well, you started with Speed Machine, right?
1: Uh, no, no. Uh, I started... I started kind of midstream and actually at the, at the time the boots were, were named. I'm like, I'm like smiling right now. (laughs) I I wish everyone could see my face right now. (laughs) They will um, be able to. Yeah. yeah. Um, (laughs) The the name of the boots were, were Helen back at the time. Um, And, and kind of the running joke at the time was, you know, really they kind of just did put you through Helen back because (laughs) they just didn't fit that well. They didn't ski that well. We had, we had kind of gone through a couple of poor product cycles and, Alberto, who who we're just traveling with, who's actually going to come visit here us here in a little bit, uh, he he had started just about six months before. So we both kind of inherited this Helmback project as you know starting off in, in product management. We d- both of us didn't have any experience. I mean, I came from the race side, right? You know, he come from the sales side. He had actually worked for the uh, Italian Federation, um, so he, he had more experience in in some other fields. And yeah, we inherited the Helmback. Uh, so that was technically my first project, but. My first real project was GP, GPX, and then the real kind of, yeah, commercial was Speed Machine. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah,
0: because the Speed Machine, I mean, obviously had great success that first time around, and then when they abandoned it, and then when, was it Fire Arrow, right? Yeah. Yep. Fire Arrow. Mm-hmm. And then that got obviously moved aside fairly quickly. Actually, I have a pretty funny story about Fire Arrow. So I, we were at a meeting at Nordica. Uh, it was George and I. And we were we were at HQ. We, we met Niddle. Um, who's our regional sales rep and they're just walking us through the product line and fire Air had just come out. Like no one even knew about it yet. So the dealer catalogs pretty much just landed in West Lev like that day. So he was like, he handed us one to take home. And you know, so George and I are in the car, we're kind of flipping through it. And we're like, there's no, there's no four buckle boots, like for the retailer. Like, and we're like, well, this has to be wrong. You know, like this, they must've just, and so, and then of course it's like, no, this is our new project. And at the time, we were, we were actually working for Dalbello, like doing some of like social stuff and like marketing. And we had a meeting with them like the very next day, just already scheduled. So we, we showed up and we we're sitting across the table from Clint, Clint Lyons, uh, Matt Titus, and Scott Russo, who was at Dalbello at the time. And we we're like, oh, we were at Nordic yesterday. And like, this is their line for next year. And they all kind of looked at it at the same time and just started like burst out and laughing. And it was, it was pretty awesome to see those three guys Those two guys all have like this raw, like pleasureful, like reaction of like, (laughs) what the fuck is going on over there? Like they abandoned four buckle boots and just went to fire arrow. And for George and I to be these young kids, just like sitting there watching these three like juggernaut dudes just like
1: laugh at Nordica. We're like, this is pretty cool.
0: This is kind of a cool experience.
1: Yeah, we get a lot of laughs. Uh, laughs. We get a lot of laughs from Fire Arrow. and yeah, for sure. And that's just—it's one of those those classic products, you know, or even kind of larger scale brand mistakes that that sometimes happen. I mean, you you, may, you start to make decisions in a vacuum, and mm-hmm. you know, you don't you don't look outside of yourself uh, for for good ideas and feedback and direction and stuff like that. I mean anyone who who thinks that they're smart enough to to scale stuff and and do it all on their own they're just totally crazy yeah Um,
2: and and it's all part of that ebb and flow of those product cycles I mean especially in the ski industry probably bike industry as well but I feel like the ski industry has had a number of the you know shout out to Solomon BBR you know products like that that obviously yeah but some you know
0: well what was the last product you worked at at Fisher worked on at Fisher
2: uh Corpy's gonna laugh. Uh gun barrel mogul ski <laughs> and oh, oh yeah. And but Ranger one oh two FR. All right. right, which uh, you know, Corpy then designed the uh one oh four free after. That's that's <laughs> oh my <God>. kinda true. <laughs> kinda true. Kind of true.
1: Such <laughs> <bullshit>. <laughs> such well, bullshit.
0: I mean the Fisher one oh two is something to hang your head on It's your last project, I will say. It's yeah. been a very yeah, successful yeah. ski.
2: Yeah. And gun barrel would have been too, but mm-hmm. timing, timing was off. Yeah. We, saw a, lot of, we saw a lot of them this year though, especially at Killington in the spring. There's a lot of gun barrels out there. Mm-hmm.
1: That's when they come alive, right? Yeah. <laughs> Machine gun zipper line. Yeah. Right under the left. Ber- Berkowitz,
0: Berkowitz's uh, yeah. Hall of Fame zipper lines, dude, at Killington. You? He's, I mean, he's you, a you know the
2: whole KMS like bump crew, like
1: how it's a way of life up there. Like. Yeah, for sure. So I grew up skiing at Stratton, and like there was a there was a full time mogul program. Yeah, same there. Yeah, you know, so yep. it was it was impressive. And then also too, kind of Stratton was the the birthplace of snowboarding. Yeah, so there was like massive train parks all over the place. So there was there was a bunch of different cool skiers coming out of Stratton. Yeah,
2: it was. Vermont, I mean Vermont in general. I mean we talked about we talked about Burke a little bit, but there's there's so many of those academies on the East Coast, and that aren't just devoted to to racing. I mean, you know, uh, like those are some of the most committed skiers out there, whether it's freestyle guys, Mm -hmm. you know, park and pipe guys racing. I mean, you, you lived it for a long time. I mean, when we were in Europe on that mountain bike ride, you know, you were talking about traveling around to some of those villages that we were driving through when you were younger racing, you know, spending months there. So I think that's something that maybe a lot of people don't understand is that, that dedication to the sport.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's incredible. And you know, it, 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 what I, what I did previously as a racer, you know, really allowed, you know, this, these, some of these relationships that, that I've built in Europe over the, over the years to, to really become, you know, kind of even possible just because, you know, that, you know, sometimes the, you know, how they think of Americans isn't necessary, especially in the ski industry, right? Like we don't necessarily produce skis over here, you know, it's like, you know, these guys don't, you know, they don't know much about skiing comparatively to the birthplace of skiing, right? right? And, you know, um, but going over there and just skiing with them and, and drinking beer with them, and two things I, I really like to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you know, it' just kind of built really solid relationships.
0: Yeah, I mean, and you can see that those relationships, I mean, convey in the product. I mean, again, we were just there and, and we saw like, wow, like you know Corby and Sam, you know have a huge say in, in like you know what what's happening for the products they want to build to bring to North America. Uh, and that was really cool because not everyone has that relationship. you know, I mean, with a lot of brands from the US to where they're being produced, there's a lot of disconnect between, you know, the communication and what the market here wants versus what they want to build. And from the Nordica side, from what the products that you guys have been putting out the last you know handful of years, it's, it's pretty dialed for North America. I mean, we're talking about some of the best selling skis um, on the planet that are being produced strictly for us, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, so, I mean, essentially like going from like that speed machine to again, to that baby of yours, then Forcer 104, developing that trust with those guys really allowed you to kind of run with that
1: project. Ab- absolutely. And I mean, it, it, it all comes down to the, the people at the end of the day, right? I mean, you, you have to have really good people in place and we're just, we're so lucky. Um, but what kind of came out of that fire arrow, hell back disaster was, you know, just us really kind of looking at ourselves and reorganizing how we approach product and, and you know, how, how we, you know, brought stuff to market essentially. And, you know, we had Alberto Contento on the boot side uh, myself on the boot side, Sam Beck at the time on the ski side, and then Florian Sear. We're all about the same age. Um, mm-hmm. We all have we all have family. We all have kids. Uh, we all we all obviously work for Nordica and we're involved in products. So we all have these these kind of synergies, kind of going in this together, starting right, right around the same time and um, beginning this journey together. So we we really relied on one another to make sure that we were not making big mistakes and you know, we learned so much from the mistakes and, you know, we, we even had some on the ski side of things too. You know, we had, um, you know, this, this line of energy skis, they were pretty good, uh, but they weren't great, you know, but it, it really kind of led us down the path to building the enforcer. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was again, that, that ability to, to listen, but have strong relationships with the Europeans to, they, they trusted us and, it was. It was. It's earned.
0: Yeah, because again, like that Enforcer, the first year it came out was it was just the Enforcer. That's it. That's it. And of course, that's a big ask for you guys out of North America. Like, hey, Europe, yes. can you build us this ski? We we promise. I pinky promise you, it's going to sell. And they're like, you know, laughing at you. And then it does sell. So so then it goes way back to you guys. But now you can. It drews a whole family of skis.
1: Yeah, that's that's literally how it happened. I mean, we had that Enforcer 100, and it, at the time, uh, as Eric just said, it was just called the Enforcer. Right. And because it was single, it was during the time where, you know, you had a free ski family, and you named everything, you know, unique within the family. You had the Patron. Uh, we had the Helderado. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else do we have? We had a couple other. Um, it doesn't, doesn't, Soul it, Rider. Yeah, the Soul Rider, the Blower. Love eight, that ski. A bunch Ace of, of, of different names. Ace of Spades. <laughs> um, and... And then after we built the Enforcer 100, I remember we were, we were sitting in the booth at, at Denver at OR. Uh, at the time, actually, it was SIA, and we were discussing over the phone. We had the, we had a phone out, and there was, like, you know, a couple of people on the phone, and we were we were pushing really hard to, to build the Enforcer 93. We're mm-hmm. like, well, just, just sell more enforcers, and, you know, right. there's no real need for the 93. And we were like, you know, trust us, like, you know you trust us with the 100, look what we did with it, trust me. You know, the market's asking for it. You know, our reps are asking for it. Our dealers are. Yep. The consumer, there's a real need for this ski. And then, boom, the 93, and it, Um, it, you know, that one took off as well.
0: Yeah, and for people that are, that are listening, um, that aren't familiar with, with the kind of investment that takes these guys, you know, you could think, oh, they, they should just build another ski. Like, that's a serious sales pitch for, you know, you guys in Corby and, and all these guys at Nordica USA to pitch them. They need a whole other model. Right. And the same, and so now the investment is in the family versus just one model. And I mean, explain a little bit. You don't have to go super crazy into what that kind of
1: entails. So from from the investment side of things, yeah you 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 have to you have to kind of you have to have a direction that the market wants to go. Clearly, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can you can come up with crazy designs and ideas all the time, but at the end of the day, we have to sell these things. So you, you start with an idea or a need or a product, I think, you know, that will fit within your brand, fit within a line uh, to have it work. And, and obviously, we have them tried not just North America, but have them work globally as well. And, and, and then we have to get approved for the investments, right? I mean, you know, yeah. you, you, you could build a bunch of stuff um, in a year, but, you know, at the end of the day, you have to pay for the tooling, you have to pay for the R&D, the mm-hmm. manpower, and all the, all the things that go along with it. Uh, and that that'll get approved. And um, you always have to forecast what you think you're going to sell against it and, and, mm-hmm. and make sure that, you know, everything's kind of checking all the boxes along the lines from market need to, you know, is this going to be commercially successful enough to be able to, to continue to produce?
0: Yeah. And, and you know, I, I've been doing this for a, a little while. So skiing has been obviously a huge part of my life. And you think, you know, you know how they're built. You can, you can go to a, someone and see like someone just with a, with a press and they press you like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's cute. And then you actually go to a real factory. And you talk about introducing a brand new ski and a new, and you know, a family that's, well, I'm sorry, introducing a brand new ski and now turning it into a family of skis. And this factory is now already probably close to capacity with all the things that you're already making. And you're saying, well, look, no, no, this is going to be also really good. It could be the same as the enforcer, maybe bigger. And then from a production standpoint, it doesn't matter if you could sell it. You have to be able to produce it and deliver, right. which seeing that in person for the first time, you're like, yeah. how do you even fit that in? I mean, it could be the best ski ever, but you can't actually build it. Right. Which is crazy, it's, especially at a factory that's building multiple. It's not, I mean, it's building a lot of Nordic skis, but it's building other skis as well.
1: Yeah, correct. So our, our factory, our ski factory is in Middlesbrough, Austria. And for those of, you who don't know where Midarilla is? Don't 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 blame yourself, It's a small town, and it's, it's sick. Th- it's famously it's just right next to Kitsapill, essentially. Uh, and they've been building skis there, I think, since the '60s. And it was it was previously the just the Blizzard Factory at the time. Um, and then the Zenata family, who owns the Technica Group, which Norga uh, is a member of, is uh, the purchase factory. I can't remember the exact timeline. I think it was like 2006 or something like that, a couple of years before I started. Um, because we needed a place to start producing Nordica skis. We're, mm-hmm. We were producing Nordica skis in, in a couple of different factories, mostly, I think, Alon at the time. And um, it was just getting too expensive. And, you know, there was a whole host of reasons, right? Um, and then the opportunity for the Blizzard factory came along. And this was a perfect timing, obviously, with the separation of, of Vocal and Technica. Right. And getting the, you know, the Blizzard brand kind of back off the ground again. They weren't even, I don't think, even being distributed in the U.S., um, for for a couple of years in there, um, so yeah, uh, we we build Nordica obviously there and and Blizzard, and then we do Dinafit and so we Black do a Crow's. couple of Black, Black Crow skis and there's one more Black Diamond, uh, Black Diamond, Black Diamond, yeah. Black yeah. Diamond? Yeah. correct. Yep.
0: Yeah. That was kind of funny when we were there and you get to see you know, you'd see all the stacks of like Black Pearl stacks of you know Santa and Force, then you see like a random like Black Diamond. You're like, what is it? It looks so out of place. <laughs> You're like, what is that doing? What is that doing here? right
2: (laughs) yeah yeah but and that's a good point I mean having having your own factory is huge I mean for for a number of reasons but not having to rely on another company and being third fourth fifth in line for production is is incredible and I know Eric you kind of you didn't glaze over it but you know I said to you and George and I and I even said it to you Corpy afterwards after that trip where it was really apparent how you know Special of a relationship you guys have, especially with you and 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 Flow right. over there, you know. And um, I thought you know. the, I thought you were related at first. <laughs> <laughs> right when he walked over, and
0: he, and I was someone's like, "Oh, that's Flow," and I like like double taked. I'm like you mean corp? You mean Ethan? Corporate? And they're like, no, that's not. Th-. And I, I was like, oh shit! It look it looks like a, like a bigger version of you. <laughs> yeah, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, little we're, bit.
1: yeah, we're both skiers. We're all stocky. You know, we kind of like you're you like, know, like you
0: guys have the same kind of
1: strut. Uh, yeah, 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 um, yeah, but but again,
2: I mean, even the drive, you know, you and I drove together from from Austria to Italy and had a discussion about you know I had plenty of trial and error with you know working with the Austrians when I was at Fisher and. Just like you said it it takes it takes years to build that rapport and to build that trust and and there might be changes over there on their product team too so all of a sudden there's somebody new in there they don't know you they don't trust you you come up with this this concept and then you know prove it with that enforcer 100 and then they're like well we, we already gave you what you wanted you're like yeah but but yeah, we, we can sell we sell can, we can want, expand more. on this yeah. we mm-hmm. can sell more of these and then again you gotta you gotta prove yourself over and over again And of course there's going to be a miss in there somewhere too, which they never let you forget. Right. You know? Um, so it's, yeah, it was, it was really apparent to us just how special that relationship was over there and and how well you guys work together. And, you know, during that drive, I was like, Oh, so, you know, how involved are they, or is flow on, you know, graphics, if you're sending something over or changing a construction and for him to be like, No, we just trust each other. Like, if I I need to make a change, we make a change, we test it out. It's not like we got to take 100 steps and he has to run it up the ladder. Like, you guys are just really working together really nicely.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of, that's a great example on the graphic side of it. So, we handle most of the skis that we sell in North America. In in the U.S., we have a graphic agency. It's called Capacitor Design Network. They're in Burlington, Vermont, another designer. Uh, He lives in the Stowe area, and then one of them actually lives in Portland, Oregon. And we do Enforcer, Santana, Wild Bell, Navigator, uh, Unleashed, and, you know, the junior correspondent sees to go with that. And then uh, then our all-drive rental skis as well. Those are done in North America. And, yeah, Flow is, you know, very hands-off in the process other than making sure that we're hitting the timelines to be able to get the graphing engineers over there to, to actually mm-hmm. take the files to, to get them printed out on, on our, our uh, printing machines. So it's... It's, it's a really special relationship and something that, you know, we work really, really hard at to make sure that that remains intact because they obviously see the benefits of it. Um, and then we, we obviously benefit hugely in the North American market from it.
2: And even, even that's different too, where they're allowing you like, hey, here's here's a category of skis that's North American focused. Go use a North American design agency versus, right. hey, yeah. we're, we're based in Austria, Germany. We're using this huge design agency out of Munich that does stuff for Land Rover, whoever, right? you know, we're going to use them. They're giving you that, that freedom to use somebody, you know, more local who knows our market more.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and now, I mean, those are some of the things that keep me up at night for sure. You know, trying to keep things fresh and fun, new and exciting. Um, but also consistent too. like, you don't want to just obviously take a, take a 90 degree turn every, every single year with your graphic approach and you know, it's, (coughs) it's, you know, you can, you can, that, that stuff can make a difference and you know, can start the chatter with all because, you know, they're losing their way, or you know, yeah, that that ski doesn't look that good, and you know, and you know, kind of starts this this negative spiral that can take a ski down pretty quickly, and yeah, um, it definitely keeps me up at night for yeah. sure.
0: Yeah, because you feel like you have to restart. Yeah, if that happens, which you don't want to do if you got your foot on the gas and you're like, crap, we missed one time, and now we feel like we have to completely restart. Totally. Which I mean, from a, from a production side of things, that that's horrible. I mean, especially with the Enforcer 193, which is now the 94. And then again, to come back to this, to expand on that is even kind of scary too. Right. Especially because now you're asking for a narrower ver- another narrower version, right? Which is like okay, you have to spin who that consumer is for, that who that ski's for, and then a wider, the most North America version, right? Which is the Enforcer One Hundred Four, which is like a whole other sales pitch to those guys because right. you're like, who needs that ski, right? Um, and so with that ski, because I think everyone here, it's probably one of everyone's favorite Enforcers here. In the one hundred four, yeah. um, was that your pitch to them, or was it a, was it was it a combined effort of hey we we need a more playful, wider North American enforcer?
1: Yeah, so it, actually at the time, so we had the the ninety three and the one hundred, right? So the one hundred came first, then the ninety three came the year after, and then I, I believe we took a year off on on investment, and then we came out with the enforcer one hundred and ten and the one hundred and fifteen. One hundred and fifteen was in one ninety one only. Uh, Just a total heat seeker. And then that 110 was kind of like that resort powder ski. We did very well with that. We were, we even surprised ourselves on what our numbers were the first couple of years.
2: And that was the era where like everybody was selling 110s. Yeah. Yeah, It was
1: right in the market where everyone
2: had that
1: ski. Yep. Or something like that. Yeah. And, 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 we did very well with the magazine test results and sales numbers were great and stuff like that. But you know, at the end of the day, a one ten is pretty wide. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, there was, there was a lot of people who were using that as their kind of daily driver in the West. And I was like, that's just, it's not like, that's it's not too really, yeah, that's yeah. not a daily driver. You know, you kind of yeah. need something a little quicker, edge to edge, something a little bit more nimble, but obviously it can handle some softer snow. Um, mm-hmm. and we we just didn't have anything in that one oh something category. We had an energy one Oh seven that had kind of since kind of gone away and, and we needed to fill that, that position. And uh, you saw how sure.
2: well that Ranger one Oh two is doing. So,
1: you know, I've, I've, <laughs> I've never skied on the Ranger one oh two. That's a
2: lie. I've skied on it with you. <laughs> no, you have that. Oh, that was okay. That curved GT. You're right. You're, you're, exactly. Curve GT. You.
1: Thank you. Yep. You're right.
2: Which is a great ski.
1: Which is an which is an incredible ski. I I, I have to give that to Fisher. They they the Curve GT at the time. I don't know. This was what four or five years ago. Yeah, yeah, maybe more. Yeah, five or six. I think the thing ripped. Yeah, yeah, yeah the thing was. Yeah, it was it was it was a missile. It was yep. a fun run. I remember we we're at copper. Yeah, I came but, over to the tent. And, yeah,
2: and and that, you know that's another kind of fun part about you know, the, the internal community of, of brands too, you know, whether it's product managers, marketing guys, sales managers, you know, you get the chance at events like that to, you know, once all the, the retailers or consumers essentially have gone through the skis, you know, the the product managers will go over to somebody else's tent and say, Hey, you know, can I try this ski? So, you know, it's seldom where you get to run out with another product manager, somebody from another brand and like rip around on a new ski and like, actually be honest with each other and be yeah, like, but like
0: this is sick or not yeah. yeah it's cool yeah
2: yeah so that's another one of those kind of aha moments when you're out with like, like other product managers and you look over and they're like smiling like damn this this, this is, is sick. this is solid <laughs> I would
1: love to make fun of you but this is sick yeah <laughs> as, as much as I wanted this thing to suck it didn't right yep
0: yep so w- with Enforcer 104 too uh, just because this is just it keeps leading into like you know your the job that you do it and, and how sometimes complicated that job is It's like, so you have this awesome selling Enforcer 100, you have the 110, you have the the 93, which is now the 94. And just because it's such a difficult thing to introduce another new ski that might be a little too close to what you already have. You have to kind of not only pitch it to the people who are going to build the ski, you have to forecast for that ski. You have to sell your reps on selling the ski and then you have to sell your dealers on buying a ski that's totally different but they might think it's close to the same. I mean, you don't want to cannibalize your numbers in the in the bread and butter, right? right. But also you want to add more skews to a retailer's wall. Right. So it's a constantly, uh, this fine line of like, let me keep introducing new product that's different, but I have to spin it to them that it's not too close with what they're already buying.
1: Right, and we were actually very conscious of that when we were launching the 104 because as, as you said, I mean, it's only four millimeters right. wider than the 100. I mean, it was like, geez, I mean, that's... You know, really, if you just told someone you make, you have the option between a 100 and a 104. You're like, man, that's that's pretty close. Um, But the story really kind of came alive when you start to show people what the skis, the profile of skis, were looking like, and the decision to put free on the end of the 104 and the 110 uh, really allowed us to 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 tell a really unique story around. Okay, these are the free ski enforcers. These have a totally different shape, different profile. They have that enforcer construction with full wood core with two sheets of metal, vertical laminated sidewall ski. Uh, but we have just two, two different approaches on how we're handling it for kind of all mountain use and then also soft snow use. And once you kind of you, you told that story uh, and and showed those profiles of the ski, that really allowed us to to plow forward with it and inland them on both walls. I mean, there's a lot of shops who carry both of them, and they should. They should, yeah, absolutely. But
0: you know, from from what your job is, it's hard to convey that message from where you where you're trying to build that product all the way down to that end user with and skip everything and just like oh it's only four millimeters different right which is it, that's insane because the skis are wildly different and yeah the skier that's gonna be skiing on it is wildly different
2: yeah i i, I think as corby knows and, and i mean you've been in a million ski shops too there's there's unfortunately a, most ski shops don't have the ability to to sell necessarily both of those they're, they're gonna pi- they're gonna pick or choose right um So I think depending on where you are, depending on the volume of, you know, skis and and what type of consumers are coming in, you know, you need to you need to validate, you know, which ones are are best on your wall. I mean, we're we're lucky where we can essentially sell, you know, the whole that whole category. Um, But, you know, that's the other thing on the development side when you're like, okay we're going to develop these you know, this 104 free ski that's a little bit more playful, a little bit looser feeling, but is it going to cannibalize one of the other skis in the lineup? You know, and then you have to start planning for that too. How many more years does the
1: Enforcer 100 have if this 104 takes off? So there's uh, a, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. And that's another thing that we gain from having such great relationships and and working together on stuff that, you know, we can start to not only work on what we're building for next year. Okay, what does the next two, three, four years look like down the line? So we can kind of better prepare for those types of things. And we, when you have full buy-in from the entire international team, then it's easier to work through that stuff. It's like, okay, we came out with the 104. We Then we knew we were going to be redoing the 100 right. uh, the following year because we had that planned in development. And, you know, with the success of, of obviously the first one, it was that it's an easy thing to to get an investment improvement for where it's like, okay, we need to keep, keep pushing the envelope on this thing to make sure it rises to the top. So we, we planned on that after that one Oh four, it kind of, you know, when we, we dropped that 88 one Oh four, It kind of kicked off. Okay. We need to redo the 93. We need to redo the 100 and you know, kind of um, keep, keep elevating what we were doing with those, that whole collection.
0: Yeah. I mean, are we ever going to get those ones that we pressed? I don't know. Mm. I, 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 they're I mean, going to have to they pull say it. the ski monster. I mean, on we wrote in it, Sharpie. It's Sharpie, the ski monster. Arm, so there's somewhere
1: they're going to have to pull them out of the Q3 pile somewhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or someone's going to get the, a ski yeah. and it's going to, it's going to be <laughs> in the wrap. It's going to have the ski monster written out into Sharpie. Uh, and it's going to say third quality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, I'll no, do that. But the guy that was helping me out was like, this guy could work here. He said, you, it, he said yeah. it in German, he said, he said, I think you're my new colleague. Yeah.
1: yeah, you were
2: you were really good at it. Adepted George it was a little slower, but he George also went first. Yeah, to be fair, yeah.
0: I got to see George go. Saw the process. And I was like, George was terrible,
2: and <laughs> Eric did a great job.
0: I killed it. I, yeah. I killed it. Yeah, but those presses. Let's let's talk about that for a second because that was that was wild. So on the factory floor of of, of Miller and I'm going to butcher the numbers. I'm going to ask you: Is that each person? Well, first of all, the factory is open 24 hours a day. Yes, three shifts. Yes, constant building of skis. Yes, six days a week.
1: Yes, incredible. Yes, it is. That is is so much production. It is so much (laughs) production, and it's incredible. I mean, it's the 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 number of machines and the process, and and everything that goes into building a ski is is it's it blows my mind every single time I go there. I've been there. You know, probably thirty times in my life already. Yeah. And you know, every time I go there, I, I get in a Mittersol. I'm like still like a little kid. I, I drive down from Munich, um, just like just like we did. You yeah. try to try to get in at some time in the morning. You drive down to the factory, and the first thing I want to do is walk production, and you know, kind of see what's going on, what's happening, mm-hmm. um, see 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 any changes that have happened, any new processes they've instituted, and no, it's 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 just. It's amazing to see, you know, this pile of raw materials be turned into something that, that you can go have a blast on. Yeah, and that's. Crazy. I mean, that's
2: a great point. You said, you know, we talk about production in machines, but uh, honestly, at the end of the day, it's it's they're all handmade. Every ski I mean, is handmade. They're all getting laid up layer by layer, like making a sandwich. Every single one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's so easy to to glaze over that when yeah. you're when you're talking about skis, and then when you talk about a press, and you know, like you said, this machinery, but it's it's people at the end of the day and they're grabbing these raw materials and they're stacking them up and absolutely there's there's machines that are they're that finishing the process but yeah it is they're handmade
0: when you take yeah. it off the wall or out of a box you put it on the wall and like you're looking at this thing and you're just like you have such a greater appreciation for what you're handling when you watch it get made
2: And it's the first time you're like, holy
0: shit, these aren't expensive enough. They're not expensive enough. (laughs) No. They should be way more. Right. When you watch them get made, you're like, how is this only going to be $5.99? Yeah. U.S. dollar. And everyone has to make money along the way. Yep. It doesn't make any sense. It's insane. It's crazy. And each one of those guys operates that press. And this is the part I forgot. How many pairs does each person have to make per shift? I think it's 25, 25, right? Yeah. So,
2: between t- like 22 to 25, something like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, and that's per, per press per shift. Right. So 75 skis a day. Right. On one press. On yeah. a one press.
0: That's crazy. Just constant. Yeah.
1: And not every factory is the same. Uh, no, you know, And that's the, that's one thing that is, you know, you have to set up your process, your materials, your machinery. Um, you know, your, your entire production line is, is unique. You, know, you could take the Enforcer 100 mold over to the Fisher Factory or the Atomic Factory, and they wouldn't be able to do it with the process they have in place because of the machinery setup is yeah. is, is totally different. And um, the,
0: those molds are so freaking heavy; they are heavy. When you lift it up to put it in the, yeah. the press, like after you lay it up, I was I was, sh- was kind of shook on how heavy that was. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. You have to, like, you're like awkwardly lifting it with like your wrist and you're like kind of like sliding it in, shaking. I'm like, <laughs> dude, this thing is a monster.
1: Yeah. And they're doing it all day. They're doing long. it all day, all day long. Yeah. It's amazing. It's
0: crazy. And then it's kind of like this, it's weird, this weird, because they lay up all the materials. So it's, again, they're supposed to get to 20 to 25 pairs or whatever. But if like one material is off or one material isn't cut right or it's the wrong, you know, top sheet or something, I mean, that it sucks for those guys after doing, you know, one and watching three other guys do it like, shit, like, if you had to go back or find the right, you know, whatever that, those resin strips or whatever they're called, like, that would, that sucks into your ski time.
2: Well, yeah. that, and that yeah. happened while we were there, so essentially, yeah. like, at, at his workstation, at his press, somebody had delivered, you know, the wood core, the edges, the, the, the base, you know, but unfortunately, the pre-preg was, we were making Enforcer 100s, I think the pre-preg was for uh, Enforcer 94, and he started Sorry. laying the ski up, and he was like, hey, this is wrong. It's wrong." Like shit, this is going to set me back. But sure enough, uh, you know, Manfred saw it right away. He went and, you know, w- literally within minutes was on top of it. And all of a sudden the pre-preg for the 100s were there. But that's a good point. I mean, it, uh, again, this isn't this isn't machines spitting out skis. This is people touching know, every single every piece step of the way that goes into the ski, every single step from the metal to the wood core to the, everything. Well, it comes out of the mold, and there's so much you know extra material around the ski that they're cutting off with a bandsaw, mm-hmm. which is insane. You know, no safety glasses, no gloves, no anything. Wild. Which no, yeah, nothing. just o-
1: open open blade,
2: dude, all day long, and they're doing it so fast. And then you know, then it starts going into the finishing process. Same thing. You know, they're it's it's just insane the amount of hands that touch a pair of skis.
0: Well, I mean, speaking on the the edges that you just brought up, like w- that machine that you guys have, like the, that the meta- edge bender, yeah. yeah.
1: That was crazy. It, yeah, and, and seeing that thing oscillate, it's a, it, for the people who are listening, it's essentially this, this large round table, very large round table that oscillates around in multiple different directions to be able to bend an edge to the shape and, and width of for, for every model of ski that we make. So every, every size and every model has its own unique edge uh, that we're bending uh, right at the factory, so... That was a, I, I know that was a challenging one to get instituted. We used to outsource it; we used to have somebody bend or seal edges for us. But then we brought that process in place, and we wanted to have full control over it. And
0: yeah, I remember you saying, or someone was saying, I can't remember it was you're not when we were there. Like it was like a two or two and a half year like development. Just yeah. to like build that machine yeah. for that one application of just the the, the, the edge
1: bending. Yeah, like yeah. that's that's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> it's and it is, it's also amazing how, how many of these machines are specialty. Like we're talking about, like okay, like in the market of building machinery, you know, you, right? It's you know, there's not there's not that many ski factories in the world, so you know, you have to go to these companies and be right. like, hey, can can you guys make me something that that cuts pieces of wood that are really narrow and really kind of kind of long, kind of odd dimensions, right? You know, so it's. It's it's definitely a unique industry. So instituting those changes in the process, is, they definitely don't happen at the drop of the hat.
0: The, the guy that was operating the machine too was very proud. Very proud. I, he he kept waving us in because we were like behind the glass, and he was like he was like waving us to come around. Yeah. And I'm like I felt really awkward. I'm like I don't know. I'm like gonna be in his way. He's gonna like I'm gonna get cut or something. Right. And he but he was like no no come come come. He was he like was yeah. like so
2: excited to show you how it worked. But He's, that's, that's so that, another thing you could feel there though. Like even yeah. like everybody, not only just, you know, you guys, the product managers, the sales guys, the, the reps that were with us, but everybody in that factory that we met, that we ran into, you could tell, and they were probably all skiers cause it's just a way of life there, but everybody is so passionate about what they're doing, which mm-hmm. is really cool.
1: Absolutely. So the guy who was running that, so I, I know him because I was over there, but you know, probably four or five years ago and. And Flo had to go, so I was I was given a spot on the town series beer league race. Sick! It was like actually like the closing weekend, and like all the guys in the factory were super bummed out because they were losing Florian zero who was an ex World Cup racer, and they're like, really, this like yeah, this American on my team now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my, like, it's like, only a hobby over there. <laughs> yeah, they're like, like, like what? Like you can't you can't do GS racing with Enforcer 104s, like you yep. know, so. I don't know if they thought I was gonna, like going to kick out of the gate backwards or something <laughs> like that. And, um so he was on my team and I I I performed fairly well. Um I I was the I was the fastest guy at the bar, out, out of the factory team right. actually in this little this little town <laughs> I Shouldn't say it's little. I had like 400 people. Jesus. Yeah, there was like, you know, full families up there like juicing their skis and stuff before the race. It was it was pretty funny. Um but anyway, long story, he was, he was, he was on my team and then we went and of course drank like a like hundred beers after yeah. the race. So <laughs> not know, not, no, no, no,
2: no vodka sodas in Austria. No, no.
0: That, no. Right to jail. If you order that straight
2: to jail. Yeah. Yeah. But that, but that, I mean, that's another, that's another good point that you bring up. I mean, obviously we're all here very passionate about skiing and it's been a, a big part of our lives, but at the end of the day, you know, in, in North America, in the U.S. specifically, I mean, it's it's such a small percentage. Yeah, What's of, the
0: population of Austria and how many skiers are there? Isn't it some crazy number? I haven't
2: seen the latest numbers since I was a fisher, but it was between 3 and 4% of the population. So 11, 11 to 12 million, you know, skiers. skiers. Which, is, I mean, is not even a hobby. For...
0: No, but no, no, I'm saying in Austria.
2: No, no. I, oh, I was saying here. Oh, but here, no, yeah, over yeah. there, it's, it's in the 80s or
1: 90% right, of the population. Right, The whole population, I mean, it's, everyone it's, skis. It's part of life. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. And they only have 9 million people. Yeah.
0: yeah. So 7.5 million-ish skiers. That's
2: crazy. Crazy. And yeah. that's, I mean, that was a good point. That's why all those guys in the factory are looking at Corp. Like, like, look at this American uh, yeah, loser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, like, <laughs> U- UVM ski racer <laughs> and the factory workers are looking down on him. Yeah. <laughs> oh.
0: Another part of the factory that I was like, I I thought was so cool. And I don't know why I've I've never thought of this in all my years of like, you know, selling ski equipment is that the skis get married at the end. Yes. That was an incredible thing that I was like, once I saw it and someone explained to me, I'm like, well, obviously that's what has to happen. Right. But like, you never make that connection when you're just receiving it in a box and talking about it and skiing on it and selling it. But explain to people what that means. Cause I, I was kind of blown away at first. It's a really cool process.
1: Yeah. So throughout the whole production process, you obviously have tolerances, right? You can't, you know, building stuff to, you know, the the micro millimeter is is very difficult, especially when you're, when you're doing volume. So every material throughout the entire build, the process has a certain level of tolerance built in it, depending on what the material is. Some can have more variance, some can have less, some have to be obviously tighter um so at the end of the day not not one piece is probably specifically unique you know they're 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 very close and there's a lot of them that are built very close to each other and it's also temperature and humidity right there's moisture content that goes into play uh you know kind of time on the press you know pressure yeah pressure Mm -hmm. obviously is it is an important part you know um going through the grinding line you know even the temperature of the solvent and stuff like that can maybe you know grind the ski a little bit more a little bit less or you know, whatever it is, the guy, the guy who's shaving off the extra material, maybe he took off a little bit more material or something like that. Right. So it had to go, went through the grinding line a little bit different. All those subtle differences will, will end a ski that is, you know, a little softer, a little stiffer, um, has a little bit more camber in it. And that's what we're trying to match, right? We're trying to match that weight, the camber, um, and obviously the flex of the ski. So just cause it, it was, you know, running through the mold, right? It, you know kind of the same time as, mm-hmm. as quote unquote it's made doesn't necessarily mean that it's ever going to be made and, and then you know kind of pair that with we have two ski graphics you know? right like we have that, that graphic. just complicates even more right and then you do it on the size level you yeah have, you know full six sizes of skis and, right and you know it starts yep. to get
0: one comes out and one you know 170 it's a right graphic and it, oh shit the left one was way off so now that right graphic has to wait for a left graphic that's close enough right. and they can become a pair and i was just like well yeah like duh
2: but like you, you don't take think that, about it. You
0: don't think about that at all.
2: Yeah. Like that's an insane part of the process. And once again, done by an actual by per- humans. an actual person. Yeah. Pairing them up, you know, it, it's it's crazy to see. And obviously they're doing it all day long and they've done it thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Mm-hmm. So they're they're very efficient at it. Absolutely. But when you're standing there watching somebody pair up skis mm-hmm. and like look at the camber and the weight and the rocker profile, and then they're, you know. Have to pair them up. It's it's insane. And if
0: it's close enough, you're like perfect. And if not, you're like okay, that has to go in a separate pile and wait for wait for a match. Right. I mean that that just makes it so complicated. Yeah. On top of everything else that was going on. Yeah. It's crazy. They don't cost enough. Well, they, all, <laughs> they don't. Just <It> <laughs> raise the prices. And then the other thing too, when if it wasn't exactly perfect, is watching that guy while they're still kind of like not cured, like bend the tip or bend the rocker yep. to kind of to match it. Yep. That was super cool too. And like, cause he just pulls it right out. You look at it real quick. You're like, okay, this is just slightly off, put it in that little machine and just kind of like, just work it a little bit. And then, then you're like, all right, it's perfect. Yeah. All
1: done by hand. Yeah. All done by hand. A little adjustment and it's just a little, little bit of a rocker adjustment. We, we build rocker into our molds. Um, and then, you know, so they're, they're, they're very close, but you know, sometimes they need that last little, little bit of tweak and adjustment,
2: which is also something that's somewhat unique to, to you guys as well. I mean, that's something that not every factory does. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, building, building the rocker into the mold. And then again, it's, it's, it's also size specific, Yes, you know, so you're not using the same rocker profile on a 186 that you're using on a 170. It's Mm -hmm. completely different. You know, it's, so that's another factor that I think constantly gets overlooked, you know, and maybe some people don't even think about it, but I know internally for us, you're like, man, the amount of resources that are going into you know developing one ski but then okay you've got six sizes within that ski you're using all different the same materials but different amounts of materials for each size right different rocker profiles and how to get that
1: all the sizes to feel the same yep Yep. and you have to do the different press setups every time you change one of the sizes so that was that was the big shift that we made from enforcer 1.0 to 2.0 was the scaled rocker on at the size level and at the model level so they actually the original 193 and all the sizes in both those models all had the same rocker height and depth and huh. at the time we were not producing a flat ski volume that w- that was high enough to justify anything else we, right. had, Interesting. we had some really good skiing skis in the 185 and the 177 mm-hmm. the 199, 191 or 193 at the time probably could have used a little bit more rocker right. and then the 169 you know probably had too much um, you know for that skier who was skiing the 169 I mean it was probably fine but um moving to that next project then when we redid them we moved to rocker heights and depths on every single model uh and and size and that that was just a huge investment that we had to take but we wanted to ensure that these things were they were scaled properly and it really makes each individual ski its own project uh and it it takes a lot more time because you have to reset up the mold um or excuse me, the press right. uh, with this with a special insert to be able to get that done. You support the mold, if not, obviously the mold just cracks in half. So uh, it's it's it was a it was a major undertaking, and it's something that we've done with our skis ever since.
0: Yeah, it, it's something that everyone just takes for granted. Yeah, it's crazy. And then uh, uh, it has to ski well, and it has, and to, it, and well, it has yeah. to be durable. Right, which is another thing that I was was really cool to see because we obviously are a retail store, so you do a lot of warranties. You see people that bring their skis in, and you're like. How the fuck did you do that to your skis? Like, I, like we all ski fairly hard. We ski a lot of fun places. Like, I've never done anything no, like I that. No, I was just skiing along. To my and skis. And the tip blew up. And then you go into the Mirasol factory, and you go into their, like, durability room. Yeah. Whatever it was called. What do you, I, don't, I forgot. You guys had, like, a name for it or whatever. But like, <laughs> I it, can't remember the but, technical like,
1: name. It's, it's our lab. It's a lab.
0: Yeah. And then you, you just lay up, like, an Enforcer 100, and you just take a hammer. You just hammer the sidewalls. And you're like, yeah, sick. And they're like, it, oh, it doesn't crack. Like it's good. Yeah. Like, like no matter what you're doing, you're skiing. It's not um, taking an impact with a hammer from
2: flow. Yeah, who's who's a giant human? <laughs> yeah, and and I mean that and that that sounds a little bit Neanderthal. I mean, uh, he did he did do it, and the skis held up. I mean, they do other things too, but, but that, obviously, yeah, that, he the, was exaggerating yes, the process. The top sheet material is getting tested. The base material is getting yeah. tested. I mean, it was it was it's an impressive R and D. It's really cool. Um, and then even that
0: hot box room, too. And that's something they With need the glue. to be, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We go in there, and they, they test it, so it's getting shipped over, so the skis don't come apart. Yeah. What's the
1: temperature in that room? It's, like, super hot. It's crazy. So I think a container can get up to 160 degrees on its way over. So Jeez. Yeah. Obviously, they need to be able to handle 160 degrees coming over. You know, just right. sun banks in the middle of the summer, bouncing bouncing over the ocean. So, yep. Now, th- the other thing about the, the lab is is every time that we change a color or a sidewall, it's like, oh, well, just, just put a different graphic on it or put a different sidewall color on it. It has to go into the lab and has to get tested um, for durability. And then ISO, obviously the ISO standards um, for, for pull test has to pass a certain new, new meters of force. Obviously, be able to screw a binding onto it and stuff like that. So every time we make those changes, those adjustments, like oh, just make it a little softer, we'll do do whatever. It's got to go back in lab and get validated, right? Um, to be be able to sure that it, it passes all the standards.
0: It was also cool to see all those all the prototype skis that were stacked up in the in like the ski carts that were just like shattered. Yeah, like oh, we tested this one out and it it's broken. Yep, didn't work. <laughs> it didn't didn't work.
2: <laughs> well, and then it, and then you've got you've got all the durability tests, but then you know, now there's, you guys are using two or three methods for, for graphics, yes. you know, and mm-hmm. then that was cool seeing that too. Yeah. And then you, 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 go through that whole process and, you know, structurally the ski's great. And then all of a sudden the, the, the graphic fades in the, in the sun yeah. after a couple of days and you're like, well, shit, mm-hmm. we got to do something different here. So, um, but yeah, seeing, you know, the, the everything from screen printing to fully digital printing, you know, it's, it's pretty incredible. Again, it's, it's all, kind of overlooked when you're looking at you know certain colors work with certain materials better and certain processes better and it's it's man it's a lot of trial and error
0: yeah even seeing all the cores get you know kind of delivered
2: yep on the pallets
0: like each individual skis core kind of all lined up and you're like they're all so different right obviously they're very similar but they're all so specific for the ski that they're going into and you you pull them on you kind of see the thicknesses you can see all the different wood types in the and the glue and you're like it's just such a process. It's crazy. Well, we are an hour in, and we didn't even get to boots. We didn't even get to Italy. We we're all, we're still yeah, in Austria.
1: Yeah, yeah, we didn't even we didn't, we didn't get, So we'll have to, to do a part two. We'll yeah, have to do a part two. We're gonna have to
0: because we, did, we the second part of the trip is we, we 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 wandered down to Italy, and we it was one it's a, one of the coolest drives ever.
1: It, 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 of all time of all time and i mean i, I every single time i, I do it i uh, like it's like about it, to drive it, off the road because yeah. you drive
2: through cortina and you're just you driving through Cortina. Your, your jaw is on the floor the it's, whole
1: time yeah it, it's incredible
0: austria italy that drive is, is super cool and we went to hq um we saw boot production there it was the new doberman they were building right the liners yeah it was the yep yeah. um I think no. I'm not supposed to say that. Well, we can we can cut that. We'll out. that out? We'll leave we'll leave it in. We're you gonna know, leave it in. Yeah,
1: <laughs> well, yeah, you know what? Let's call, let's let's make this the world's worst kept secret. We have a new Doberman. Who new Doberman. Out.
0: Sorry, we <laughs> dropped the new Doberman. But yeah, it was really cool to see them build the liners. It, it, it was awesome, and that was just part of what we got to experience. So we'll have to do a part two with Ethan Corby. When we talk about Italy and the boot, and uh, let's wrap there.
1: Thanks, guys. Ethan, thanks, Corby. thanks for
0: being here, man. Cheers, boys and girls. Yay. Yeah, yeah. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening.